Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. been in a series now. We're going on 25, 26 weeks where we've been talking about Hebrews. The, the one kind of consistent message, right, is don't drift from Jesus. Draw near to him because he is better. We've been reminding ourselves that truth week in and week out. Now, if you weren't here with us in September, we haven't repeated this as much. Uh, but back in September, when we started the series, we framed uh, Hebrews in kind of three big categories, kind of three big movements. And so I'm going to remind us this morning of those movements. And in kind of chapters one through three, the pastor of the Hebrew audience um, said that uh, this was the superiority of Christ. That's what he was emphasizing in the first three chapters of Hebrews. And then the next seven, he was emphasizing the superiority of Christ's work, his, his work as a high priest, his work as a, an unblemished sacrifice his work as an interceder and an advocate for us. We focused on Christ's work. And now in these last three chapters that started with the hall of faith of Hebrews 11, we've been focusing on the superiority of the Christian faith. And specifically in these last three chapters, uh, we're looking at what faith entails. What does it look like? What does it do? What are the promises that it clings to? And also, what are some of the costs that will come along with us if we are to walk by faith. And so that's where we're going to be this morning, specifically kind of looking at some of the costs that we might face. And so turn with me to Hebrews 12. We're going to read our text this morning in its entirety, starting in verse 3, all the way down to verse 14. It says, consider him, this is consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, every daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son, what daughter is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's our text this morning, Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 14. Um, Anyone remember the uh, Be Like Mike Gatorade commercials of the early 90s? Do you know what I'm referring to? Um, it was these commercials that were like a minute long of just Michael Jordan doing, you know, Michael Jordan things that like no one else on the planet could do with the basketball. And it said this at the end of those commercials, if you remember, Be Like Mike, drink Gatorade. And in my mind, I was like, okay, 
that's it? Like, let's drink Gatorade? And I was the, the, at that time I was 13, I was the backup point guard for my seventh grade middle school B team in basketball. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell coach I'm ready to be like Mike. And so I pulled him aside and I was like, hey coach, I know I'm the backup B team guy. Can I be the starter A team guy? And he kind of looked at me and he's like, how, how, how am I going to play this? You know, he's like, is this really you? You know, kind of a thing. And he goes, okay, well, why don't you show up at 4.30 tomorrow morning and, and let's be like Mike. And uh, so I showed up at 4.30 and he, he said, we're going to do Michael Jordan's workout routine. And so we did all of these like endurance, cardiovascular exercises. He worked a ton of core training. I haven't done core training in my life at that point. Probably still haven't if we're being honest. But anyway, and then, uh, and then it was all this other like weight training and all that. And 20 minutes in, I was like, is there another way to be like Mike? Like, I want to try the Gatorade approach. Like, let's try that. Three hours in, at the end of it, he just said, hey, come back tomorrow. Let's do it again. And uh, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be like Mike. That's not, listen, if, that's, if this is what it takes, I'm out. And so sure enough, I pulled the ripcord. Sleep sounded better. One day was enough. And, um, you know, I kept drinking Gatorade. It didn't give me anything but cavities, and that's okay, I guess. But, and, uh, and in the end, I stayed the backup point guard for my middle school basketball B team. And so that's how it works. And I kind of think like that in the sense of, man, we just got done reading Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't know about you, but I read Hebrews chapter 11 and I'm like, I want to be like those men and women. I want their faith. And I get fired up. I think that was the goal. The pastor was trying to inspire us and motivate. He's trying to motivate his audience to go, man, I do Lord. The prayer has been, Lord, do whatever you must do inside of me to mold me, shape me, make me into one of the other heroes of the faith. I want to be listed in the same breath with them. Is that possible, Lord? I want to build up nations. I want to enforce justice. I want to, I want to live for an eternal reward. And if I had to guess, I'm not the only one that feels like that. That's like, yes, I want to be like one of the heroes of the faith. And if that's true, that that's true of us in the room, I think the, the, the question the Lord wants us to ask ourselves this morning is, are we willing to be disciplined in such a way for that to happen? Or are we just going to pull the ripcord at the first sign of toil and struggle? The call of our faith is to be like Jesus. And there's no kind of short circuit process to that. There's no Gatorade involved here to get to this. You want to live like the joy and peace and, 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 and patience and kindness that Jesus modeled. He did that while enduring persecution and suffering. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to kind of tap into what he, how he understood those things to be and how in the God's hands they could be used. And so maybe you're like, well, uh, let me lower the bar a little bit. Maybe if you just want to be like one of the heroes of the faith still. We have to be ready to be disciplined. We have to be ready to endure all that those heroes of the faith endured if we want our faith to look anything like theirs. And so that's kind of some of the things that we're going to kind of dig into the text. Now, a couple of setup items before we start to move back through the text verse by verse. The first is this, is that we need to kind of understand there's going to be a word here that shows up nine times in our passage, and it's the word discipline, which you know, for me, it's like a bad word almost. It's like, oh, don't say that one, you know. At a minimum, right, the word has a rough reputation. It's like I associate it with early 
3 a.m. workouts or whatever. But this is a word that in the Greek, it's, it's, the word is paideia. And, uh, and it's a broad term. And I, and I would add, it's a beautiful term. It's a, it's a term that, that, that denotes um, training. It denotes correction. It no, no, uh, denotes education, cultivating, molding, shaping, forming. And it was most often used kind of in the, in the realm of like helping children be disciplined, be, be, be molded, developed, and mature as they ought to. And so that's the word that we're going to see time and time again throughout our passage. And so I want to give us a working definition for the idea of biblical discipline so that when it shows up in our text again and again, that we have this definition kind of running through our heads. Biblical discipline is spiritual training, and it comes by way of usually three things, correction, life's trials, and persecution. And its purpose is to produce godly character in obedience, some of the things that I know that in theory we want. And so discipline is a primary tool that God uses to help us be like his son, Jesus. And so it's going to be something that we lean into this morning. The other thing that I want to use as a little bit of a setup is there's a Bible study and I'll give it like a little 201 tip. There's a way to read your Bible called the TAN method. And, and TAN stands for then, always, and now. The idea that being every time you open God's word with any passage, you should always kind of go, what's the then? What was, what was the author? Who was he writing to? And what was the intent by which the recipients of the letter or the book would have received it by? What would it have meant to them? It's always helpful to have that run through our minds. Then the always is, uh, the, the second one is the idea of there's universal truths, there's timeless truths all throughout scripture. And so that which we have here, how does it maybe apply universally to any believer at any moment, at any time, in any situation, in any context? And we're going to look at that today too. And then specifically, we're going to then look at now and we're going to seek the application for you and me and for the church Today, So that's going to be our movements as we kind of move through the text this morning. Let's first start with the then. What was specifically happening to this early Hebrew audience? These are largely Hebrew believers that have trusted in Christ as the Messiah. And there's some pain that is coming their direction because of some of the choices they've made to follow Jesus. And so let's go back to verse 3 and start working through the text. In verse three, again, he says, consider him, consider him who you want to be like Christ. You want to be like Christ. Consider that which you want to be like and how he endured sin or, uh, how he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And consider that so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. And even here you can go in your struggle against kind of sinful forces in your struggle against persecution. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The original meaning to kind of our audience is this, uh, is that the Hebrew church was being disciplined through that third bucket that we had just listed out, persecution. It's largely what the pastor's kind of addressing specifically to them. And he's going to even say, right, we had read in, in Hebrews chapter 10 that this was a church that had, um, that some of them had faced imprisonment. Some of them had faced some financial persecution. They've had some of their property confiscated. And then we know that some of them were facing social persecution. They were been kicked out of synagogue. They were kind of outcasts, so to speak, from it. And synagogue was a big deal. It was a communal society then. And to be 
removed from synagogue was to kind of be removed from the community in which that you were supported from and cared for through. And so this was a significant persecution that they were moving through. And yet the pastor kind of looks at all of that and just says, you've struggled, but you haven't, you haven't had to resist to the point of shedding your own blood yet. And it's like this kind of like, he's almost like, uh, it's almost like a little bit of tongue in cheek, but guys, you're complaining about persecution? You haven't even died yet. What, what's there to complain about? And it's like he's trying to flip their perspective on what's happening. It's like you're, you're grumbling and com- murmuring, you're grumbling and complaining, but if, man, you want to be like Christ, why would you expect anything less to come your way other than physical persecution to come your way too? I want you to get to a place of like Acts 5.41 where Peter and the apostles could rejoice in the persecution going, Lord, thank you for counting me worthy to suffer in your name. The pastor's trying to flip their perspective on how they view the discipline of persecution. And so they had a choice, the Hebrew audience of the day, to either pull the ripcord or be like their heroes and live for an entirely different kingdom. Now, we just talked about that the, uh, that the pastor had used kind of the recent uh, positive example of Hebrews chapter 11, all their heroes of the faith. He used them as a positive example. But to tie this whole letter together, way back in Hebrews chapter 3, he used a negative example. He used the negative example of this generation that had been come to, called the wilderness generation. If that's kind of a foreign term to you, or maybe you need to just be, it's a helpful uh, reminder. The wilderness generation was a group of um, ancient Hebrews that had been um, radically delivered out of the nation of Egypt. Been radically delivered, and the Lord was moving them towards Canaan, towards the promised land. And as they're journeying there, the Lord's like, this, the land, this is the land that I intend for you. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the, 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 the nation kind of raises their hand and goes, well, can we go spy out the land and kind of test you? We're not, we won't take you at your word, kind of like what we sang, but we want to go test it. And so the 12 spies go into the land, and the land is as God says it is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a grand land for them to live in. But yet 10 of the spies kind of raise their hand and go, yeah, that's true, but man, the cities are really fortified. And it's like there's almost like giants living there and they're almost too innumerable to count. Like we can't do it. And then that moment, it's like the nation of Israel kind of takes a pull. Are we going to pull the ripcord and go back to what we once knew or... Are we going to be faithful and lay claim to the promises that, the God, that God is putting before us? And in that moment, we know that they pulled the ripcord. They didn't choose to believe God. They hardened their hearts. And because of that, they experienced discipline through correction. And for the next 40 years, the adults went through the, correct, the correcting hand of God and suffered the consequence of not being able to enter the promised land as God intended them to do. And so this is the same year. We fast forward in time and the Hebrew audience has both of these examples to look at now. And the pastor looks at them and says, do you wanna be like the wilderness generation? Or do you wanna be like your heroes of the faith? The choice is yours but you got to go. Now, this was, a, this was a hard truth for the ancient Hebrews or the, 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 the Hebrews, the messianic Hebrews that had just began following Christ because this idea of perfecting discipline, the idea of, of discipline through persecution, that obviously is not easy. It's not easy and it never has been. 
And yet, there's something interesting in, with persecution. When the world sends its worst and the church meets it with faithfulness, something happens that is undeniable throughout church history. When persecution is met with faithfulness, the church begins to spread like wildfire. That which is trying to control it, when it's met with faithfulness, it it multiplies strength, both in the individual and throughout the entire church. Tertullian once said that, the early church father said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the next generation of the church. Something else, when men and women stand firm, act courageously in the face of persecution, it changes them and it changes those that are watching them. And the pastor's gonna look at him and say, it's our turn, our turn, our time now. Let's go meet it with faithfulness. One little kind of maybe application that, that might help you in this moment. A few, uh, a few years ago, Desiring God released a podcast series called Here We Stand. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It says a 31-day journey with heroes of the Reformation. It's 31 stories of different men and women, heroes of the Reformation. And these are five-minute podcasts. And it will move you. It will motivate you. And every time I listen to one, I'm like, I want to be like one of the heroes of the Reformation. Lord, do whatever it takes to make that happen in me. And yet at the same time, many of them had to meet their fate by shedding their own blood in order to fight so that like you and I could have the Bible in our own language and in our own hands so that we could read it for ourselves. They had to die for the faith so that others wouldn't be led astray from false doctrine and it spurs me on. And this was some of the stuff that our Hebrew audience is facing. This was what was going on in their day. They were being disciplined through persecution. Now what's the kind of always truth for us. Well, let's go back to verse five of Hebrews 12 because the pastor's even gonna draw on some ancient proverb uh, from, from Proverbs three that they knew about. So he's gonna kind of pull up some universal truth and go, hey, this thing that was true in Proverbs three that you know by heart, I'm gonna move it up to today so that you can understand it with the right understanding. It says this in verse five. It says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. God's treating you as daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's basically saying, guys, The fact that God disciplines you, this is a gift. It proves that you are one of his children and that he loves you. It's just like kind of like in my my own family. I I don't think, I mean, maybe like one of you on occasion, but I don't discipline your children, right? I don't like track you down and be like, hey, let me take over and discipline. Because though I I do love your children, if I know them, they're not mine to discipline, They're not my daughters, they're not my sons. And that's what God's saying. If I discipline you, it's proof that you're mine. It's a gift and I do it because I love you. So you're not gonna see me run around discipline yours. I'm I'm trying to do my best to discipline my own. But that's what the pastor is kind of saying. And the pastor is going this, you don't discipline others, but if you're God's, the fact that he disciplines you is proof that you're a son or a daughter of his and that he loves you. And he wants to do whatever 
he can to make us like his son, Jesus. Verse 9, he goes on to say, besides this, we kind of, to kind of draw out the example a little bit, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we still respected them, but shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers, they, they, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. The, um, I, I don't know if you had a good earthly father or not, but at best, like, they were doing their best, right? There's kind of a a um, legendary story on my side of the family with my dad and kind of his effort to, I guess, discipline me. Um, at the age of five, um, he kind of put down a huge cup, maybe a bowl of uh, Kentucky fried chicken coleslaw. And he said, I want you to take three bites. I'd never tried it before, smelled terrible, no offense, KFC. And, uh, and I took a bite of coleslaw and like I gagged. And so then he, in a moment, kind of put a little rule on. He goes, if you gag, it doesn't count. Three more bites. You know, and uh, I'm like, look, dad, come on. And look, the first to plead their case seems right until another comes along. Let me defend my dad for a second. Uh, in his words, he's like, oh, I was trying to get some vegetables in you, for goodness sakes. I was trying to get you to try new foods and not just eat bread your whole life. So that's what he's like, that's all I was trying to do. Well, anyway, after on bite six or seven, I mean, every bite I'm gagging, so i am still got three left. On bite six or seven, the gag reflex doesn't catch or whatever the right terminology is. And so as our pastor's about to go on to say, it didn't yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in the moment. It yielded something completely different. That was my earthly father. He was doing what he thought was best. But God's not like our earthly father. Our earthly father is the best of them. The best earthly fathers are but a shadow, but a glimpse, but a type that points to a better, much, 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 infinitely better heavenly father. And our heavenly father is not trying to get us to eat more vegetables. What is he trying to do? It says that he wants to discipline us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Truer words haven't been spoken <laughs> rather than pleasant. But later, 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 it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. Who in this room doesn't want to share in the holiness of God, partake in it, become more holy like him. Who in here doesn't want us to, who doesn't want to become righteous and be, and, and, and be trained by it? That's the things that we want. I, I think for most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, like those are the things we pray for. Lord, do it. And God's saying, the way that I produce those things is through discipline. Correction, life's trials, or even persecution. That's what comes Charles Spurgeon on these verses said this. It says, he said, God never lets his children sin successfully. He doesn't let us get away with it without consequence. And to be clear, sitting under correction is hard. Even if you bring it on yourself, it's still, a, it's still hard. Now, sometimes you can kind of go, hey, I'm getting away with it. But if, if you're attuned to the Lord, if, the, if you haven't totally quenched the spirit, if you're a believer, and, and, and there's even sin in here that no one else knows about, but your soul does, and your soul feels the effects as you continue to deteriorate, continue to waste away, you're not getting away with your sin. Just because no one knows about it doesn't mean there hasn't been consequence here. 
And if that's you today, or maybe it's, it's, it's sin that others know about, but you're struggling under the consequences that have come your way. Um, if that's you today, I just, I, I want to say, um, I've been there. I have been there for many, many years. And um, man, we want to walk with you. I feel for you. It's a hard place to be under the correcting hand of God. In the last few years, I will also tell you, I've walked with hundreds of people that have been in the same place as you. You're, you're, you're not alone, actually. So much of it is like this internal, it's like we're the guilt and shame, we're the only person in the room, and you're not alone. And so God's trying to do this as a way, as a good father would, to kind of get the sin out there, that you would confess it, that you'd allow others to walk in it, that you'd be trained and go, oh, I, I don't want to do that again. Get me back on the path, Lord. If I can tell you, when I've walked with hundreds of friends, can I tell you maybe the number one mindset that has helped them get unstuck and move towards healthy? Can I tell you what I think maybe the number one mindset is that got them moving in the direction of godly character and obedience? It was that they would stop just hating their consequences. And they began to hate the sin more that led to those consequences in the first place. And when they would get to that place, something would begin to grow in them. And then before long, I kid you not, the number one mindset would then lead to going all discipline. It seems painful. It is not pleasant. But later, I know it. I know it to be true now that it's yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He's disciplined me for my good. And so I say, thank you, God, even for the consequences that I so desperately hated. It's the number one mindset that begins to separate people from my point of view. And the way that that typically happens is God begins to do a work in your heart in order to do that. It's not even something you have to do on your own. You just got to yield to him who's trying to do it. Now that's, that's kind of the correcting discipline. We've talked a little bit about persecution the, and we talked now some about correction, but some of you are like, well, what are just about life's trials? What about those things? Where's God in those? What about everything that's happened to me? What about siblings or spouses that betray me? What about a world that mocks my faith? What about health scares? What about infertility? What about evil seemingly running rampant in this world? What about my prodigal children? What about my parent wounds? What about every daggum thing that causes me toil and struggle in this world and never ceases to relent? What about those things? The universal, timeless truth for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, 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 it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained, it, trained by it. And you're like, man, what? how do you know? Prove that. Prove that that's true. And it's like, that list that I just read, that siblings betraying, spouses betraying, world that mocks my faith, infertility, evil, that was my list that I came up from just reading Hebrews chapter 11. That's what the heroes of the faith endured. That's just where I got that list. And yet we look up and they've been trained by it. And it has produced a harvest of righteousness, has it not, in a way that it motivates and inspires us today. And it's like, man, Lord, I wanna be like them. Help me to be at least like them. And God says, then trials are gonna come your way to mold and shape and cultivate you. Get ready for them. In the, my seven years here on staff, I, um, listed, uh, I've listened to, I think, over 500 testimonies between Regen, Reengage, uh, even some of the Sunday morning testimonies that we do from, from time to time. And uh, 
I've, I, all different shapes and sizes, but can I like tell you the testimony I've never heard? Like here's the testimony I've never heard anyone share. I've never seen anyone get up here and go, well, life's been pretty easy. I've lived pretty much a perfect life. No one's ever wounded me. There's never been a doubt, never been a challenge, never been a difficulty in my life that stretched me. And I've never heard anyone go, hey, you know what? In my comfortable, in my comfortability, in my comfort, God has used that to mold me into the person he wants me to be. I haven't heard that story. If that's yours, come on down front right now and I will hand the rest of my time to you. But to everyone else in the room, I just want to say don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Don't grow weary or faint-hearted later, later, in due time. We sat as a staff this Tuesday in staff prayer, and, and uh, for 20 minutes, we just talked about the various trials that we were each facing. And it was, uh, we could have kept going. I mean, we could have gone another hour or two or three or four, and it, was, uh, and it was intense. And then I think about, and I could only imagine then, you multiply, our staff's like 30 or 40 people, you multiply it by who's in the room today, and it's overwhelming if we were to list all the trials that everyone in here is enduring and going through and walking through. And there, they'd be, it'd almost be endless. And yet, as Warren Wearsby says, we must learn to trust that the Lord's disciplining hand is controlled by his loving heart. And so, let's flip our mindset. And as 1 Peter 1, 6 reads, it says, no, in fact, rejoice. Though you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. Listen to this. Tell me you don't want this. That may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's, man, if you can get me there, I'm all in. Lord, do whatever it takes to get me to that moment so that praise and glory and honor might happen at the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, church, you love him. If you're being faithful, even under this disciplining hand, I just want to say, way to go. You don't see him now, but you still believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory and you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't stop now, church. Later, later, the things you've been praying for, the holiness and the righteousness that's coming. Now, that's the always truth. How can we apply it to today? Now, let's look at verse 12. This is what our pastor says to us. He's gonna quote from Isaiah 35, but he's gonna say this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. By the way, when Isaiah wrote this in, 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 in Isaiah 35, he was like, hey, he's like, look at, there's a coming kingdom. One day you're gonna be in Zion, so let's go. That's what the context of the, quote, the, the passage that's being quoted here it says, uh, strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. If you've noticed, he's back to his running analogy. What Josh covered last week in verse two, right? Let us run our race with endurance. Well, I'm not a great endurance runner, but I, and, and I don't know a lot of tips and tricks, but I do know this. If you want to race for endurance, this is really bad posture to run in. You know, I'm going to run. It's not going to get you very far. It might 
blow out a knee or hurt your back in a little bit. And so what he's going to say is you got to run the race with endurance. So firm up, eyes up, hands ready to go with whatever comes your way. He's going to say, I want your eyes fixed on the kingdom. Stop looking at the surroundings. When you're hunched like this, all that you can kind of see is what's right in front of you. And he's going, no, I want you to look up. Use faith like a telescope and look and go, there's a coming kingdom and it's worth running for. Don't quit the race now. Don't pull the ripcord. That's what he's getting at. Using faith like a telescope. Now, the other thing that I want to do as we kind of apply it to today is um, I want to talk about the church in America and I want to go back to the topic of persecution. And I want to live there for a second. Because I do think that kind of persecution has begun of the American church, oppression, at least in its kind of early, probably super infant stages in many ways to what might possibly come. But I want to be real for a second too. Um, we haven't tasted anything yet. Like, could you, could you imagine like having a conversation with Paul about persecution, the apostle Paul, kind of comparing battle wounds, battle scars, you know? It's like this one that we're not gonna win. But if we're kind of talking to Paul and Paul's like, I know it's hard, the persecution's hard, tell me about yours. And you're like, well, you go first. And it's like, I know it's the three rod beatings every day and it's the 40 lashes less one. Or is, that the, is that what you're talking about? Is that the persecution that you're referring to? It's like, well, Paul, you know, no, not that one, not yet. Oh, it's the imprisonments. You're talking about the imprisonments that you're facing, or you're talking about people try to stone you. Yeah, because that, gosh, yes, that's so hard. Or you kind of reading our faces. It's like, oh, you're just referring to just dangers on every side. You kind of don't quite know what's going to come and when it's going to come. And kind of, it's like, well, I don't know, Paul. It's, I, I guess it's not even quite that. And Paul's like, well, what is it? It's like, well, you know, just yesterday, there's a mean tweet. (laughs) I really got under my crawl. So-and-so unfriended me, and I'm pretty been out of shape about it. And my friend over there, I rolled the last time I mentioned, you know, and you're like, that's what we're talking about? So look, I I don't say that to, 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 to make light of it, but the pastor literally looked at this group of people and said, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding your own blood, and we are nowhere close to even being close to that. For the most part, some of us haven't really faced any real specific personal persecution. And I do kind of wonder, is that because we're not living as we ought to in our land? Maybe that could be the reason why we haven't faced some of the persecution that we've seen in other places from time and time again. And so the pastor, I think, is going to kind of continue on in verse 14. And if I want to apply it to today, I think there's three things that we can draw as the American churches, individuals that are living largely in a kind of a time where our faith has been protected, but now all of a sudden there is open oppression. There's our faith is being kind of openly mocked and our faith is being legislated against. And some of the truths that we hold near and dear as being God's way, and this is what will make for a helpful society. Those are being legislated against. And so how can we Be faithful in a land that is moving far, far away from God. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Mm. That is an inconvenient phrase to have in my Bible. Strive for peace with everyone. I mean, I literally wish each word in that phrase was different. I was like, Lord, could we like give peace? lackadaisical effort for like some cordial and different behavior with a handful of people. Like that I could kind of 
in jest. But he says, no, strive for peace with everyone. You do everything, you agonize over, you exhaust yourself giving full effort to peace with everyone. Enemies, those persecuting you, everyone. And that is a high call to following Jesus. Now, to be clear, until Christ returns, there will not be peace in its entirety. That's why the passage, I think, says strive for peace. Don't achieve peace. And so how can we strive for peace with everyone? Let's look at a couple of things. Let's, let's, let's look at three things. That, that, and the first is this. Is we've got to become prophets in our land. We've got to be more prophetic. To be clear, peace is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Peace is only found when we walk according to his ways and when the land walks according to his ways. So we must speak up, stand firm. We can't compromise that. One of the ways we strive for peace is to speak up against the moral decay in our land. Make no bones about it. We've got to be prophets that speak up. Now to be clear, I don't define being prophetic as like, all right, you want to tangle, let's tangle, you know, like here, let's fight, let's fight about it. Or I don't do it as like, man, put me on a bigger soapbox. I'm going to dig my heels in uh, even more. I, our nation is not one soapbox soundbite away from being led into repentance. And so the second call for us to strive for peace with everyone is we've got to become shepherds. We've got to become more shepherd-like. We can't just argue online with faceless names. We must move toward real people. We must move towards real people. In Ezekiel 34, in the back half of that chapter, it talks about how good shepherds, they move towards the confusing. They move towards the hurting. They move towards those that are held bondage and sin. They don't judge it, they move towards them. And if we're to be like Jesus, we are to be like the good shepherd. Don't forget, believer in the room, that you too, were once demonstrating, right, complete ignorance, complete hostility towards God. But God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still in that place, he died for you. Don't forget that the good shepherd once left the 99 to come get you and bring you personally back into the fold. We've got to be more shepherd-like. We've got to move towards real people with real hurts, real confusion, real hostility towards us, and we've got to move towards them. Now, when I say that, don't mistake kind of loving like Jesus and laying down our life for them as being kind of watering down the truth. As we shepherd, we speak the truth in love indeed, and we don't compromise it in any form or fashion. Those are the first two calls. The third call is found in the back half. It says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So the third thing truly is we've got to be more holy. If anything, our faith has been mocked in this land because of the headlines that Christians have made. Their lips professed one thing, but their lives, their lives had a host of other things. And the world looks at that and goes, yeah, see that message, eh, eh. And look, we've all done that to some degree, but we've got to, we've got to set ourselves apart. And the scripture, the biblical word is we've got to consecrate ourselves. We gotta make it to where our lives look different than the rest of the world. Maybe they don't persecute us because our lives are so intertwined with looking like theirs, there's nothing to persecute. 
We've got to be more holy. If we want to lead our nation to repentance, we have to look to ourselves first, church. And so Ezra 7.10, one of my favorite verses in your Bible says this, Ezra, he set his heart to study the law. He studied this book. He got familiar with God's ways. If this is what leads to peace, then I'm gonna familiarize myself with this. And then Ezra practiced the law. He set himself apart to be God's man. And then, only then, Did he teach Israel God's statutes and ordinances? We've got to set ourselves apart if we're going to be able to lead anyone into repentance. And so we've got to be ready. And if we do those three things, I'm telling you, persecution will come. But that means we've got to keep doing those same things. And anywhere along the way, and it's coming. It may be in my generation, maybe in your kids, maybe in your grandkids, but it is coming. And the question that the American church is gonna to have to choose sooner rather than later is will we, pull, will we pull the ripcord in the face of greater and greater persecution or will, we, or will we become holy shepherds and holy prophets that help lead others to it? And if persecution comes, we're okay at it. So we've got to endure. Our kids and our grandkids need to see us endure so that one day when the call is harder and greater and more significant, they will at least have had an example to call back to on what it looks like. I don't know, I'll close with this. Um, I don't know if you were here on Easter Sunday, but we, we, we played a video about Sue Bowl. And if were, y'all, were some of y'all here for, for that video? If, if you weren't here, Sue's someone that has um, at least in the video, we mentioned kind of three trials, polio, loss of an infant child, and uh, tongue cancer. And, uh, and if, you, if you remember the video or if you haven't seen it, go see it. You can go on you know, social media and go look at it. But uh, she was looking off camera during that uh, video while we were kind of shooting the video. And I was the person she was looking at off camera. And I was kind of, and I remember one time, I'm just looking at her as she's sharing her story. And all I can think about is, I want to be like Sue. I want to be like Sue. And at one point, the videographer was like, Jeff, did we get what we wanted there? And I'm like, wait, what? Where Where are we? Sue's just ministering to my heart. And I'm like, Sue, I want your face. I want Christ, how Christ works in you, Sue. I want that. And then when we watched the video on Sunday, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. If you want a faith that Christ works through like Sue's, You've got to handle trials like she has. Polio her whole life, loss of an infant child, even the tongue cancer that um, has been a part of her journey recently. And as those things come, like Sue, I've got to meet those with faithfulness. And if I would, I think if you would, I think something amazing would really happen in your life and frankly, lots of people around you's lives probably something akin to revival, even if it's more on a local note. It's it's probably one of the things that um, we've been praying for a little bit. Revival's been in the news some with uh, what's been happening in Kentucky and Asbury and stuff like that. And I I hope you're a people that pray for revival. I really do. I know we long for it in some form or fashion in our land, but let me just be really clear. Anytime revival typically happens, persecution's not far behind. Because typically, when the church begins to spread like wildfire, the enemy begins to push back harder and harder or a hostile world does. And so if you're praying for revival, I might suggest you also pray for strength for the persecution that attends with it.
So that's the call. But we do so by picking up that telescope that we call faith and we look to a kingdom and we remind ourselves what's happening in that kingdom even right now. What Hebrews has been teaching us. There is our savior in heaven, seated in the heavenlies, a sympathetic high priest. He understands all that we're going through. And he sits up there, not accusing us, but advocating for us, interceding for us, praying for his strength to pour out through us. And the goodness of him is if you're in him, he's also supplied you with his spirit to empower faithfulness today. You are not alone, church. And when we look at the kingdom, when we keep our eyes fixed up there, posture up, we're reminded we've never been alone and we don't journey through this land of discipline as illegitimate children. We have a father that loves us and proves that by disciplining us. Let me pray that we would endure under it. Lord, thank you for your word. It's not an easy one. And yet uh, your power in us, uh, we can endure and persevere in any number of ways. Lord, will you help us come to view discipline as you want us to? Will help us to see it for what it might be that later, 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 Lord, that it might yield peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, we desire that fruit to occur. Will you help us endure to see that day? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son who endured all that you asked us, that you're asking us to endure so that we may walk in the same place that he is today in an unshakable kingdom. Lord, we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.